welcome to another episode of the It's Just a Hill Cycling Podcast. I am John Stenning, and in just a bit, I will be joined by Ben from July Bikes, artist, bike builder, all-around great guy, talking about the process of designing bikes, building bikes, uh, right here in Rhode Island. Super interesting. Got a tour of his studio, uh, but you're going to have to wait for the interview to get all the details. Before we get to that, which will be in just a second, Ija Winter Bike League, the WBL, if you will, is in full swing. Stage three is this Sunday, February 11th, rolling from Richmond Elementary School in Richmond, Rhode Island. We're stopping at Higher Grounds Coffee at the end. Great coffee shop. They've got great donuts there. Really looking forward to it. Uh, and yeah, that's going to be the third stage. If you don't know yet, you can get points in the Winter Bike League and win stuff at the end. You get points just for showing up. There are three different attack segments, and there are a road captain category and a wild card captain. Not a wild card captain. Although, I guess if you win enough wild cards, you could be considered the wild card captain eventually. So, we'll see. But you get points, you win stuff at the end, it's all free. I like to do free rides, uh, I like to meet people on bikes, and to me that's what it's all about, a little bit of motivation in the winter to train a little bit harder, train a little bit more, maybe you're not training at all, maybe it's a lot of Zwift miles. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. We're offering rides, you should come. It doesn't matter if you haven't been to all of them, but if you do come to all of them, you get more points. You get an extra bonus points. The best way to get points is just for showing up and all the details can be found on our Strava page. Make sure to head over there, become a member. You can join the feed if you're a member of the Strava club and all that stuff. All that information is there. It's basically the best place to get all upcoming It's Just a Hill information. I have to clear my throat. I even did vocal warmups before this, you know, like <clears throat> red leather, yellow leather. I was in drama club as a kid theater class, if you will. We did all of that stuff. I don't know if you can tell by my boisterousness, but I was in drama as a kid. Uh, there's a new vlog series. Speaking of me and, and drama, I put out a new vlog series. Episode one is up. I put it up earlier today, not to timestamp this episode too much. Why do I always talk about timestamping? I don't know. Is it important when it comes to podcasts? I don't know. I've been making podcasts for like 10 years now, more than 10, 12 years. I've been making podcasts way before the office ladies. Okay. Everyone, all of a sudden, the office ladies and the guys from friggin' Rest of Development started making podcasts. And everyone's like, have you ever heard of a podcast? I've been in since the ground floor, baby. Speaking of that, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Music or Spotify, please leave us a rating. Thumbs up. Give us five stars. Write a review. It really helps us. Um, I, I hope that you give us five stars. I hope that you love the show so much. That's why I do it because I'm, I just love attention. Um, and you can also give us great attention on YouTube by liking and subscribing to this video and to the channel in general. It helps other people like you find the show. It helps the platforms that the show plays on know that we are a show worth listening to. All right. Now my interview with Ben. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Ben Jurgensen. Hello, Ben. Welcome and thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, Ben, you know, I, we had an intro at the beginning of the show that I sort of did on my own. I, you know, was telling people that you're you're an artist, you're a bike builder. We're going to get into sort of the more detailed stuff that, but but when I interview people for the show, I like to ask them about like where their bike journey started, right? So. I mean, you know, talking to someone that makes bikes, I think it's probably pretty obvious that you have some interest in bikes. Do you remember when that started? Do you remember when you first learned how to ride a bike? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, first, first learned how to ride a bike uh, in the apartment complex I lived in when I was growing up. Uh, in I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, 
there was like a kind of like an auxiliary parking lot yep. and my dad would take me out there and you know practice practice without you know finally got the training wheels off yeah and uh <laughs> would you know, ride around the neighborhood or whatever yep. um you know like i think it really became uh more like important or prominent part of my life like in high school and then in college um you know like in college i lived in washington dc i went to college in dc and like the bike was my transportation oh cool um and it was like recreation too so you know i had like a town bike would do everything on that and then you know nights weekends would go out and and ride what ride just for fun like with friend, like group rides or stuff or what was yeah, that like? solo like solo like i mean yeah. in hindsight it was probably like pretty dangerous but if yeah, i couldn't yeah. sleep i would like you know like go do like hill climbing reps like you know in the wow. dark um yeah. and uh you know like weekends i'd go like mount vernon trail and stuff yeah. like that and go to haynes point and do laps with you know other folks it was it was fun yeah yeah now being from richmond that's sort of a it's like a you know, it's like a big place for cycling. I'm actually might be taking a trip to Richmond this summer. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, you know, you mentioned learning how to ride bike there. Now that, you know, we, we've, we've done group rides together. Um, I guess to sort of bearing the lead here, but like, that's how I met, I met you at the Princeton Carbon uh, Expo in Mystic, mm-hmm. Connecticut. And then we've done a couple of rides together. So like, where have you ridden? Have you done those type of rides, like just solo rides or group rides around the Richmond area at all? Uh, not a ton, actually. Um, you know, I kind of got maybe more into that as an adult. Right. So, um, the, I mean, the cool thing about Richmond, Richmond's like changing a lot. It's changed a lot since I grew up there and, um, they've really made a big push with cycling. So going back, you know, I always bring a bike. My parents still live there. Um, and they, they put in a lot of like bike lanes. They do a, um, like a crit there, I think yearly. Yeah. So there's a lot more infrastructure there and there's, uh, like there's a real cycling culture there. Um, so, you know, there's the, I mean, it's a college town in a way, VCU is kind of taking over downtown. Um, so there's a lot of young people there. Um, a lot of cycling. Yeah. 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 So you, you mentioned going to school in the DC area. Is that, did you go to art school there? I did. So I went to the Corcoran college of art and design. It was a little museum school, um, kind of in the basement of the Corcoran gallery. Uh, okay. it doesn't exist anymore. It's part of, uh, George Washington university. Now they kind of assumed it, subsumed it, yeah. uh, as a college. Um, and then I went there for fine arts. Um, okay. so study fine art and then right out of undergrad, I went to graduate school at Virginia Commonwealth university for sculpture and extended media. Okay. Um, so again, what is extended, fine arts. What's extended media. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, like sculpt sculpture, <laughs> It's funny. I always like joke. It's like kind of like uh, it's a catch-all, right? Um, yeah. Maybe that's not. Yeah, it's or like a gutter. Uh, <laughs> you know, everything yeah. can kind of be contained within sculpture. Yeah. So the extended media part of it was really like at the time a lot of like kinetic imaging, moving image, okay. uh, installation art, video, sounds, maybe some yeah. physical computing, yeah. um, digital fabrication, that kind of stuff. Stuff you don't think about when you think about traditional sculpture. Now you're studying fine art both undergrad and in graduate school, but are you also mm-hmm. like practically making art as part of these programs, or is it just something that you're doing in your free time? You know, is it both? Definitely, yeah. So um, both both of those programs were really studio based programs. So the the majority of my time in undergrad and grad school 
was in the studio making work, right? So big blocks of time, um, both skill building. So you'd learn how to do things and then, you know, you would, um, uh, you know, output something of your own design creation with those skills. And then in graduate school, less so, you know, more uh, kind of seminar based um, kind of education and then a lot of time in the studio. Uh, And the way that kind of worked um, academically is you'd, um, you'd sign up maybe for two or three critiques a semester and, um, you know, you'd make a body of work for that critique. Everyone would, you know, three or four people in the program would critique on the same day. You'd pause, you'd spend a few hours with the work, uh, with your faculty and your peers. Um, so that's kind of how those programs are structured. Yeah. And if like, I don't know, forgive me if this is like the wrong way of going about this, but if you had to label yourself as an artist is that a thing is that a thing that like you know how cyclists can be like you're an all-rounder you're a puncher you know what i mean you're a, yeah. you're a climber you're a sprinter is that something in the art world whereas like you're practically making art you know like i mean obviously there's a difference between like a 2d artist and a 3d artist like a painter right is there are there any labels that you would associate with yourself as an artist or is that just am i just like thinking like uh, too small-mindedly you know no, no, yeah. I mean, there's something like deeply embarrassing about calling yourself an artist. Sure, <laughs> I place. do. Like, yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I, I hesitate to even do that, but I make art. Um, yeah. And if, you know, if I was to m- maybe use a more specific label, it would be a like, I, like a sculptor. I make 3D art. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally get it. I mean, I don't even like calling myself like a cyclist. I think that's silly. I did (laughs) like, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like, I, I have like, uh, imposter syndrome about maybe every single thing in my life, you know, that I don't even feel confident, like putting a label on anything, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's hard. Like I am John, right? Like that's, that's me. And then all these other things, you know, if it's, if it's riding bikes or if it's like making podcasts or whatever it is, yeah, it seems silly to, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It does seem silly, but then I was thinking about as I was making these questions and I was like, well, I mean, sculptor to me makes sense, right? I mean, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you are sculpting the, these bike frames, right? So let's, let's get into the bike making story a bit. How long have you been making these bikes? Uh, let's see. Uh, so I, I started during COVID. Yeah. So let's say three years, four years yep. almost now. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it kind of it did, started by accident, really. Yep. Uh, um, so I think I was, I was telling you when you visited yep. uh, the shop that the, the way I got into it is uh, I needed a new pair of cycling shoes. So I had a little extra time during COVID and thought maybe you know, maybe I can make a pair of shoes. I saw like Adam Hansino's carbon shoes. So I made a mold of my foot and uh, then a plaster cast. And I 3D scanned that uh, with 3D scanner, made a 3D printed last and then did a carbon layup on it to make a pair of cycling shoes. And um, I got really into the process. Like I'd I'd never really worked with carbon. I'd worked with composites, but just like fiberglass Mm -hmm. and skinning sculptures and stuff like that. Um, So carbon was like this kind of next level um, structurally and yeah. it allows you to do all kinds of things that you know, like these other materials couldn't. So um, after that, I was like, maybe I could make a saddle. So I made a series of saddles, carbon saddles with carbon rails. Uh, and that introduced some new problems. 
And from it's there, I thought, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe I could make, make a bike. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, again, another set of, another set of problems to, to yeah. solve. And, um, you know, I'm not the first person to, to like make their own carbon bike. Plenty of people have done this. Sure. There's carbon frame builders that do it. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's not as common as, as like steel or aluminum metal frame building. Right. There's yeah. a, that's, you know, um, still not super common, but com- more common. Right. Um, yeah. and yeah, so that's how I got into it. And, uh, to make the frames, you have to make all these tools, right? Right. And there's all kinds of approaches to doing it. So, um, I've kind of been iterating on these tools and figuring out what I need to be able to make bikes. And, um, and I've just made a bunch of bikes since, yeah. uh, how many became have you a made? company? Uh, I think I'm on 12 or 13 right now. Nice. Yeah. And is there, yes. is there a story behind the name, behind the name July at all? Uh, yeah. I mean, I kind of like, I like, I, I didn't want to use my last name. A lot of frame builders use their last name. Yeah. Um, so I was trying to come up with something, you know, that I liked. Uh, I actually started, I think, like the frame in July. Okay. So like maybe that was just top of mind. But, sure. um, you know, so there's the J Association. I started the project then. Um, the month of July, you know, like the tour is on. So like yep. people are thinking about cycling. I have positive yep. associations. It's It's kind of like a vibe, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I love it. It sounds, yeah. <laughs> it sounds legit. July bikes, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. ride July. July bicycles, ride July. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now you were talking about the problem solving process and to mm-hmm. me, like, you know, you alluded to the fact that like me and, and BSP who helps me uh, edit these podcasts, we came to your studio and you were showing us not only the bikes that you've made, but the is it wrong to call them machines i feel i feel very like i i saw all these different pieces that go into making these bikes right mm-hmm. and not it starts as a 3d model on your computer but then you're making these there, there's one machine just behind you over yep. over your shoulder yep what what do you call that piece right there and i know this is maybe the first iteration of something that you have since problem solved a little bit more and you, maybe you don't use that one quite as much Is that, is that right? Or you use this for something else than the other one? No. Yeah. I use this one quite a bit. Um, okay. This is a, this one here is a, like a custom, it's a custom 3d printer that I made um, that can print like a full tube length. So oh, right, right. a lot of, a lot of kind of commercially available 3d printers have a pretty small build envelope. Yeah. You know, maybe eight by eight inches, 12 by 12 inches, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and there are commercially available printers that are really large, but the whole envelope gets really large. So you're, you're talking volumetrically like four or eight times the scale, but I didn't need all that. I just needed the height. Right. Um, so I designed a, a 3d printer that is wall mounted on a cleat. So it's got a pretty minimal frame. The wall holds it up. And then the, the Z axis, which is the height of the printer, uh, is like decoupled from the rest of the printer. So I can, I can print these super long forms right. uh, without having to build this like giant machine. Um, so that's, that's one of the, the pieces of equipment that I, I kind of designed and built in order right. to make the bikes. Right. right. Yeah. Right. And um, then there are other, there are, there are commercial uh, 3d printers in your space, right. That you also use as part of the process. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so a few of those. Yeah, I've got, um, so there's a couple different types of like 3D printing processes. Should I talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, what I think, like, I don't know, like 
I, there's a lot, there's a lot to sort of go through here. Right. And you talked about uh, like metal frame building and I think uh -huh. like aluminum alloy or, or steel frame building, it makes sense in your head because you have these tubes, but what I think is one of the most fascinating things about you that you do is like you're 3d printing the pieces, like you're making the 3d printers and using these commercial 3d printers to like pre-make molds and stuff. So yeah, like, I don't know what sort of the, the first step, the first step in your process is, is designing something on a computer. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So everything, everything starts as a CAD model. Um, yeah. Even, even for example, the machines, they're CAD models. So like when I designed cool. that 3d printer, I designed it in CAD and then yeah. 3d printed a lot of the components that were actually used to make the 3d printer. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so that's true. Maybe, maybe a good way to talk about all this is to just like back up a little bit. The way I kind of started this was um, almost by accident, right? We like, we talked about right. the shoes, you know, making the shoes, saddle. making a yep. saddle. Maybe I can make a bike. So my intention wasn't really ever to start a bicycle fabrication company or bicycle yep. company um, yep. or to fabricate bikes. Like at scale. It wasn't my intention. Um, something I do like for my, my sculptural works, I do a lot of 3D printing. I do contract 3D printing kind of as a side job for other people, other artists. So I have, I have 3D printers in my studio that are running all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, they run, they run for thousands and thousands of hours. Um, and so I've got these uh, FDM printers. So um, kind of extrusion-based printers that most people are, are familiar with that they think about when they think about 3D printing. And then I've got a couple of like SLA printers, which are, are higher detail, like resin printers. Yeah. And um, those printers are open source. Um, so they're open source hardware. And what that means is that uh, all of the, the kind of design, uh, both hardware and software, even down to the electronics is available online so that you can mm -hmm. reproduce it. it. It all kinds of comes out of this project called the RepRap project. Um, the idea was that this was something that like happened in like the early 2000s. Uh, this guy, Adrian Bauer, um, and the research for the idea was like, can I 3d print a set of parts that would allow me to like kind of bootstrap and make a 3d printer that could then 3d print a better set of parts and evolve. Yeah. And that's what kind of created the like desktop 3d printing, like yeah. revolution or all the hype. Uh, it's what like MakerBot came out of. Um, right. can, you, so, can you make a printer with a printer essentially, uh, which I think is absolutely, like, yeah. yeah, right. A That's lot of people idea, are familiar yeah. with that, with that concept. Sure. Sure. But yeah, I mean, you've gone, you've gone a lot further than that though. Well, I mean, it's inspired by that, right? So yeah. the cool thing about open source and open source hardware is you can take, um, you know, you can take a piece of equipment and you can modify it right uh, for your purpose. And then, you can republish that piece of equipment again as open source and you can help somebody along who's like maybe trying to solve the same problem. Right. So like, for example, you can, you can go online right now and download like the second version of the filament winder that I made. Oh, cool. Uh, oh, cool. And people have, and like some like university students in the Netherlands, like made one this year, like in a class. Yeah. And that was like super cool. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's like part of this and very much inspired by the open source movement and that kind of ethos. Yeah, it's, um, it's cool. And so it's also like a kind of a constraint for me. I think when, um, you know, like if, if I was going to start a business, I would go, you know, like get small business loans and like buy a bunch of equipment and this type of thing. And I've kind of like come at it the other way and like bootstrapped it yeah. and tried to figure out um, 
like how how minimally I can I can do this right um it also I think has a lot to do with like the design of the bikes or like the way that the designs are uh the bikes are designed and built is the the 3d printing allows every bike to be like truly truly unique and custom um so sorry that that was like a little bit of like a roundabout but no no don't be sorry i i mean i think yeah i think that's what's so cool is because you're making that right you made 12 or 13 at this point right but they're all slightly different you are sort of as you make one or two you're realizing like what parts worked well for you what parts didn't and how you're evolving them but because they because all of the the tubes on the bike, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's your top tube or your down tube, they can all be sort of different lengths on a one-to-one basis, right? Essentially on who you're building the bike for. Now, you've built most of these bikes, half of these bikes for yourself. How many did you build for yourself and how many have you built, right? Is that about right? About six for you, six or seven for other people? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. the first few were for yourself. Is that right? Yeah, tell you what, the first the first ride on a bike you built is uh, a little scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure. I get like nervous if I, if I have a little creak in my bike, you know, that like, and so what was that like? Do you, do you just take it for a spin or, I mean, obviously you're building the frame. You're not, you're not building the components. You're not, you don't build the wheels uh, yet Mm -hmm. at least. Um, But what is that like? Do you just take it for a spin around the block real quick? When do you decide to like, Hey, I'm going to take this bike out for a 50 mile ride or something. No, yeah, totally. I mean, like, like leading up to the first bike, you know, I did quite a bit of, you know, just like kind of material experimentation and testing. Right. So, you know, figuring out how many layers of carbon a tube needed um, to be, you know, like strong enough um, for a specific purpose, Um, you know, experimented with different um, structural adhesives uh, to actually like bond the tubes together at the, Mm -hmm. at the joints or the junctions. And then, did other experiments like reinforcing or overwrapping those joints. Um, and those were like, kind of like destructive tests that I was doing in my space, you know, like I would, um, like, like I would make like a, like a, um, like a 90 degree or 45 degree joint out of two tubes, miter them together, overwrap them, and then use like compression straps and strap them to like these giant columns, wooden columns that I have in my studio space and just like yank pressure to know, like, yeah. Yeah. You know, put a, put a, like a cheater bar on it and like hang on it, like four feet out and like try yeah. and break it, um, or jump and were you on breaking, it. were you breaking things or was it like from the get go pretty strong or like, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, things broke like, yeah. uh, you know, to like, you can break the two. I mean, there's a point where anything is going to break. Um, sure. right. but you know, there was like in doing that, um, in doing that. And then in talking with a lot of people, like I didn't do this on my own, you know, like they're like, right. um, other frame builders have been really helpful. Uh, like, um, I've been working really closely with this other frame builder, Matt Appleman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a composites engineer, builds beautiful frames and makes cranks. And, um, he's just been like really generous and like helped me through a lot of like these problems. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so like I've started to get, you know, kind of more and more, uh, like confident, um, in the way that I'm building the frames. Uh, I should also say that I'm not like, I'm not trying to shave every gram off the frame. Sure. Uh, right. they're very yeah, much a lot of, Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think carbon and they just think it's light. Right. And that 
isn't always the case, right? And yeah. now you're saying they're overbuilt, meaning you're overwrapping those joints to make sure that they're strong enough? Not only that, but like like the joints are all overwrapped and reinforced, but the, yeah. the tubes are probably considerably thicker than like a tube on a, um, a like a manufactured bike. Gotcha. Um, yeah, just more layers, the, more. More yeah. layers, more, more hoop strength, yeah. um, th things like that so that they could both take an impact um, and just, you know, they're, they're stronger uh, right. because there's more material there. Um, right. And you can still make a, you know, you can still very easily make a frame that's, you know, like plus minus a hundred grams around a kilo. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, your bikes are not heavy. When we were there, you took one off the stand that still like had extra like epoxy on it or, you know, adhesive on it. And it was, mm -hmm. uh, it was insane. It was, it was very light, you know, it might not be, might not be ethos light, but it's certainly, yeah. It certainly isn't like this steel frame sitting behind me, you know, it's not, <laughs> right. it's not that at all. Um, and so that like, I guess you, you know, you come to it, you come to this process from, from like an art background. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like you are, you know, uh, you showed us some of your other, your just like 3d sculpture art that was, that was in the studio. I'm sure that predates you making bikes. Right. So like, how is that approach to designing and sculpting a bike like how is it is it just another is it just another type of sculpture you know or is it like drastically different than the way that you would approach things I'm, I'm sure the strength has a lot to do with it right because you know some some art you know sits places and is just viewed mm -hmm. right and then people people take it in and appreciate it for that but this while i very much think it's art people are you know putting pressure into it so how does that how is that process the same and how is that process different is it really just like the strength behind it, the, the integrity, like the structural integrity of the piece. Yeah. I mean, like I, I do, I definitely come at them sculpturally and, yeah. you know, if I'm being completely honest, like my, my interest in frame building is probably like, like leans more, um, more aesthetic than it does performance. Yep. Um, you know, like I'm interested in making like a really performant bike and a bike that rides really well, but, um, I'm probably more interested in making a bike that's really beautiful. And, um, you know, I'm still working on that, you know, like, sure. uh, uh, so that, that there's an evolution there, which is happening. Um, and let's see, like, I don't know, like there's something in sculpture. I don't know, like if you're thinking about sculpture traditionally, there's something, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Like if you go to like a figure modeling class or something like that, and you see people like sculpting figures out of clay, like, I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of sculpture. Sure. Um, what's happening there is you build an armature, right? So you'll build like a steel or a wire armature and then you'll build up kind of a form and then there'll be a, like a surface created by that form. Something that's like really interesting about working with carbon uh, and, and building frames and bikes is that like, there is no armature. So like the right. surface is like, it, I mean, this is a stretch. Like I'm kind of like being squishy with the terms here, but like the, the surface of the object becomes its structure. Right. And it's like, it's so thin. It's not like infinitely thin, but it's like very similar to the way that I model them in 3D space. So I use like surface modeling applications and I'm like, you know, lofting these surfaces to make the tubes in that. And then in a way that becomes the bike when it's translated into carbon, you know, you're, you're right. looking at something that's like a millimeter, two millimeters thick, and it's like just a surface. Right. Um, and, and then that becomes this thing that you, you know, like you descend on at 60 miles an hour. Um, yeah. so it's like, 
you have to make sure it's right. Like I, I definitely like, am. you know, I'm so careful, so much more careful than I would be with like a sculpture. Right. Sure. Um, Right. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Like, yeah. A sculpture has a skeleton to it essentially. And yeah, most do not all, but like, yeah, 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 yeah. But this is hollow on the inside and arguably is taking more of a, you know, taking more, more pressure than something that, you know, sits in a museum or like sits, you know, at a town hall or, or somewhere, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm not trying to like minimize art by any means, you know, but like, it is a very different, it, and not to say like, there are other types of, have you ever met, have you ever like dealt with practical art before? Have you ever made anything that was like practical for people to use as opposed to like, you know, just, just looking at and taking in and appreciating for just the way that it, it makes them feel, you know? I mean, not, not like professionally really, but like, you know, like I make furniture and things like that. Okay. You know, um, I think, I think like all artists kind of want to be designers and and all designers kind of want to be artists. So there's, you know, there's always like, is that a thing? Is that like a thing in the art world? Definitely. There's Uh, a, I, you know, I work in video and it's like those who can't direct produce, that's like a thing that people (laughs) say, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, uh, please. Um, but so how long, how long does it take you to make a bike? I guess, how long did it take you to make the first bike? That seems like a hard, it's a hard question. Uh, because who knows, like when you, when did you start, you know, you started from age three when you first saw a bicycle. Um, how long does it take you to bike, make a bike these days? I mean, I, like, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Um, yeah. like I've never like actually timed out the hours but um the bike you saw when you when you stopped over um i had started working on that maybe like the 5th or 6th of january and when i say i started working on it like i literally like opened up a cad file and started modeling it yeah new file um, yeah yeah new file and (laughs) uh, you know from there it's it's like that bike was everything about that bike was new so Like there's not a single shared part in that frame that you saw from any other frame I've, I've made before. So every tube shape is new. Um, like the dropouts are different. The yokes are all different. So, um, like I finished that bike in about a month. Um, and that's not like full time. Um, this is not your full time job. You have a lot of other things going on in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's, it's a lot of hours. Like I, I I think like, I don't know, probably take me a week or two at yep. least to make up, make a bike. Um, yeah. uh, and that's if I was making like the, you know, like the same bike over and over again. Uh, a right. lot of that is like curing, right? Like the, sure. like it I cure time. these parts in the oven, they, you know, they cure for four hours at a time. Like it, yeah. it just takes time. Um, it's not all my time. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, one thing that, you know, when you were explaining the process to us, something that I thought was interesting and I never really considered before people, People think carbon bikes, at least me, and I was like, oh, it's it's made of carbon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but there's this there's this epoxy that's also involved. And right. can you explain like can you explain that a little bit? Like it's not just carbon, these the, these filaments are being wound. What you have is you have like these rolls of of filament or or thread essentially, but that it's carbon thread and it's mm-hmm. being put through um this machine and as it's fed onto the lathe machine, right? That's, that's what it is. It's the lathe, right? Yeah. Winder. It's like a lathe. Yep. It's like a lathe. Yep. There's an epoxy that's applied to it. Now, how much, how much is that epoxy uh, providing for the strength or is it really just helping tie things together? It seems like it's a very important 
part of the process. And, you know, I think most people, uh, you know, laymen like myself is like, oh, it's just made of carbon. But like, mm -hmm. there's other things that go into it than just than just carbon alone. It's not just just carbon. Totally. So like when you when you think of like a carbon bike, it's actually um, so like it's carbon fiber, you call it carbon fiber, whatever. It's a composite material, right? Yeah. So um, in any composite material, you're you're taking the properties of you know, two or more materials and you're combining those properties to create, you know, something else. Right. So like a classic example of this is like plywood. Um, okay. so if you like look at a sheet of plywood, uh, it's not just wood, it's wood and glue. Right. And so right. you're taking all these veneer layers and you're orienting them in different directions to like stabilize that material. Right. Um, and carbon fiber is exactly the same. So, when you're making like a, a carbon fiber bike, a composite bike, um, you're, you're bonding these layers of fiber together using right. an epoxy resin and the, um, like the type of epoxy that you use and the type of carbon you use are really going to affect your outcome. So yeah. when you, when you look at like carbon fiber bikes, um, or like marketing material for carbon fiber bikes, you'll see like ultra high modulus carbon or something like that. So it's like the, yeah. you know, the stiffest, strongest carbon you can get or there, you know, and there's everything from like standard to intermediate, et cetera, et cetera. And same is true for resin systems. So there's, okay. you know, different resin systems that are like more or less um, like strong, stable to different temperatures, things like that. And so you're, you're taking the properties of those two things and you're combining them and you're actually making something useful. The, the dry carbon fiber on its own, like carbon fiber is strong because it doesn't want to stretch can't stretch it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you bond those things in different orientations together and you end up with a part that's like incredibly strong. Right. Um, but on its own, it's just like thread. It's, it's fiber. It's nothing. Right. Um, and so you, you need the properties of the, of the, um, the epoxy, the adhesive um, to, to gain to, that. To strength. bond it together, essentially. To right. bond it together. And that's yeah. what's happening with the tubes. Like the, I use a filament winder. So it's this machine that like orients carbon in different orientations or like around a tube or a mandrel and those become the main tubes of the bike. And so different tubes like have to take different forces. So like a tube that has to take like a twisting force, there'll be more layers that are at like a 45 degree angle to kind of counteract that. Um, like the top tube doesn't need all that. So it'll have you know, like more layers kind of running like along Going the length the of way. the tube. Yeah. 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 So you can, you can really tune the quality of a bike that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what's cool about the carbon fiber, right? Like it's, um, I guess, what's the term? Uh, it's anisotropic. Um, so it's it like its properties aren't the same in all directions, depending on how you lay it up. Gotcha. Um, and so you're laying it in all these different directions and putting it on top of each other anywhere from 180, 45, 90, and a different series of that in order to to make them stronger, like, like plywood is essentially, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Like they, they fortify each other by being, by going in, in different directions. Yeah. Yep. Like, have you ever seen, uh, have you ever um, seen like wacky board? Uh, I don't know if that's the technical term for it, no. but there's this, no. like this plywood you can buy where all of the layers are like bonded in the same direction. Oh, and okay. does it bend? It bends. Yeah. So you can like, you know, you can, you can make some kind of armature or structure and then you can bend the ply oh, around sure. it. Okay. Um, right. Or laminated in place, and and because all the fibers are oriented in the same direction, it's not. It's only strong in one direction, and so yeah. carbon is the same way. 
Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Now you are, you were just a one person operation, right? I mean, you talk about all this other help that you got on the internet. It seems like there's a big community for that. Like whether it's the open source stuff or you just meeting other, other bike manufacturers, other, other carbon frame builders, but mm -hmm. you are doing this by yourself. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's just a very small solo operation. Yeah. Do you ever like have any hopes of like scaling up or making more? Is there, or is that, I mean, is that like far down the line or do you prefer not to think about that? What are you, what, what are the thoughts that come to your head when you think of scaling up an operation like this? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think that's pretty far down the line. The, the way I'm kind of like, you know, um, this is like a part-time kind of nights and weekends side job. Um, so the way I'm kind of thinking about it now is um, like I'd like to make enough bikes and sell enough bikes that I can kind of, um, you know, not just break even, but like fund some interesting projects and some yeah. like interesting research related to the bikes themselves. Yeah. Um, and so that that's kind of how I'm thinking about growing it for now. Uh, you know, it's not the next like, you know, specialized or anything. <laughs> right. Um, can, can people currently buy any of these bikes? Are you taking orders or, is, or anything like that? Uh, <laughs> um, there's, there's a lot of interest, yeah, uh, currently. Sure. Um, but I, and you know, like if, um, I wouldn't, you know, like I've got, I've got people who want to buy bikes and I'm kind of, I'm at this point where, um, I'm at this point in the process where I feel like things are really rapidly improving. Um, and so like in terms of build quality, uh, and ride quality and design and, um, like I've got a bike at the painter right now that I'm like super proud of. Yeah. And, um, I think, you know, these bikes are going to be expensive. They have to be expensive because they take so much time to make, yeah. um, that, you know, before I take anyone's money, I want to make sure that they're as good as I can make them. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so like. You know, if someone's interested in a bike, like, um, you know, like if you go to my website, you can't like click buy now, but you can email sure. me and I can put you on a wait list. And yeah. there's no like real timeline there. I'm not taking deposits or anything, but yeah. it's kind of like a handshake and there's, you know, yeah. So, yeah. And the first bike that you made, uh, that was a rim brake bike. Is that correct? First bike I made was rim brake. Yep. But mostly disc brakes since then. Is that also correct? Or uh, actually yeah, like, mostly? like the most most of the bikes i've made are rim brake um yeah, okay. i'm i'm a big fan of rim brake bikes um aesthetic, like my, aesthetic wise yeah uh aesthetically but also just in terms of like the type of riding i do okay um yep. it's also just practically a little bit easier or was a little sure. bit easier for me when i was getting started um yeah, yeah. to make a, a rim brake bike but um yeah, I've made, I made a disc brake. I've got a one complete disc brake bike and I've got another one that I've got the parts for and it's like ready to go. Yep. So, you know, disc brake's totally possible. Um, anything's possible. That's the the cool thing about the custom carbon is like, right. you know, you're making the, like you can get clearance, you can, you can do things that, you right. know. Um, yeah, you yeah. can make something that isn't like a traditional looking road bike. It could be more gravel. It could be more relaxed. Uh, yep. Are there any specific bike frames out there that, inspire you aesthetically that you see the design of that and you really like it like is there a specific look that you're going for or is it more you know something that you've created re relatively from scratch or yeah i like like aesthetically i think um you know 
I'm like, I'm more drawn to kind of like traditional, like frame, frame design. Um, and I mean, you, so you could say traditional frame design or whatever, and you could think like, you know, I mean, th- that means different things to different people, but like, like, um, like the, like the bikes I'm making aren't like, like outrageous looking, right? Like, um, no, no, they're very, to me, they're very classic. They're very sleek looking minimal. Maybe almost, classic is a better word. Yeah, yeah. Classic. Like, I don't want to say minimalistic, but there are a lot of bikes with, let's say gimmicks these days, right? Yeah. Uh, this bike does, this frame does not seem to have any, like, it's not leaning into not having like a part underneath the seat stay, you know what I mean? Or like underneath the seat tube, like those new Trek bikes or anything. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not doing something like that, but yeah. Like when you think like, is there a bike that really stands out to you? Like that you're like, Oh wow, that bike is beautiful. I want to make a bike that reminds me of like that type of style. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're like, I mean, you mentioned like the Athos earlier. Yeah. Like I, I, I saw a specialized come out with that and I was like, wow, they actually like, that's actually kind of interesting that like yeah. specialized came out with that bike. And I think, you know, like there's a real market for that type of bike. And I think that's the right bike for like a lot of people who don't race bikes. Yeah. Um, yeah. like kind of, it's, the a shame they, it's a shame they made it so expensive. It is expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but like, or like on the, like the other end of the spectrum, you know, like the, like the hope Lotus bike is incredible. Oh, yeah. Right. Like from a design perspective and it's totally like kind of a form follows function design. Um, You know, there's probably some aesthetic flourishes in there, but like a lot of the way that looks is purely driven by like aerodynamic testing. Um, And, you know, so like both of those bikes, for example, like really set out to solve a problem and the way they look, um, you know, has a lot to do with that type of problem solving. Like the tube shapes on the Athos are all like tuned so that they can, you know, use as little carbon as possible. Um, and then on the hope Lotus bike, it's like as arrow as possible. Right. Right. And, you know, like I look at those things and, um, I don't know, I'm really taken with them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't have the capability to do that. Right. Like, sure. Like I can't do the analysis to, you know, remove every gram of carbon in a frame and I don't have a wind tunnel. Right. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of like playing more with aesthetics. And, you know, like the, the kind of challenge I gave myself with this last round of bikes is like, how do you really make, and I like that, like the word you use classic, like that's the right word, maybe better than traditional. Like, how do you make a bike that's like kind of classic and timeless, but yeah. has a few aesthetic, maybe choices, flourishes, decisions that make it feel modern, yeah. um, but not gimmicky. And, um, you know, so I'm kind of like, I'm playing within like a really tight kind of like set of constraints. Sure. Um, which is, I think also maybe the reason I'm like drawn to the frame building right now is like, you know, like compared to sculpture, sculpture, you can do anything. Yeah. Frame yeah, yeah. building a much narrower kind of aperture. Right. And then right. you kind of keep it like within like classic or traditional kind of like ideas about frame building and it gets even smaller. And so like, it's a known form. What can you do that's interesting within that form? Yeah. Um, and I don't know. It's fun. It's really fun. Um, yeah, I, I've been, I've been messing around a lot with like, uh, seat stay, um, like seat stay yokes, chain stay yeah. yokes and yeah. having a lot of fun with that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, like for example, like, um, if you go to like my website or Instagram account, there's a, like a green, like a kind of a, like a, like an olive green bike or a yep. screen. I don't know what color green it is. It's like yep. the color of my hat. 
Um, yeah. But it's uh, in profile, all the tubes appear to be round. Yeah. So like if you look at it from the side, all the tubes are round and it's yeah. a compact geometry. So it's not like traditional in that way, but like all the tubes are round and then you kind of move around the bike. You look at it from three quarters, you're riding in a group with someone like, like on this bike. And it, it starts to very much look modern from the back and like kind of yeah. a three quarters view. And yeah. that's something I was thinking about. Like, that's a very, that's the very kind of, kind of like sculptural approach to like making this object is like encouraging someone to move around it. Um, look at it from different directions. Yeah. That's look neat. at it from different directions. And and also like, I'm really trying to think about how you see a bike when like you're riding it or when someone is like sure. next to you riding a bike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you know, you look at bikes and you look at them like on a white background, like in yeah. a photo booth and like, that's not how you actually see a bike ever. No. No, um, right. So I'm really kind of thinking about how it's ridden, how it looks when it's ridden. Um, I don't know. <laughs> do any of the do any of the other components of a bike inspire you to make things one way or the other, like whether it's a set of wheels or like a group set or um, I, I don't know, like, do you, do you take those things into consideration when you're designing the bike? I mean, other than like rim brake or disc brake, right? Or like even something as simple as like one by or two by, but like, you know, are you are you seeing a frame and you're saying like, oh, this is going to look great with campy on it or this is going to look everything will look great with campy on it but it's just going to look better <laughs> with shimano on it you know <laughs> what i mean like is there is there any of that like totally um yeah and i think like i would very much like to um i think well something we talked about when you were at the at the shop for the studio was um uh this idea of like selling editions of bikes yeah so you know maybe every every year, twice a year, I would release like an edition and it would be, um, kind of a fully realized bike. It wouldn't just be a frame set. Uh, it would be a bike, a set of components, a paint job, um, all of these things very much complementing each other. And all of yeah. these things very much like, un like a single idea. Right. Right. Um, and then, you know, if someone was interested in that, that bike, um, you know, I could make it custom fit for them. Right. And that's kind of how it would work. And so uh, to actually answer your question, absolutely. I'm thinking about all of the components, um, yeah. you know, thinking, just thinking everything through or trying to think everything through before I actually like start building the frame. Right. Um, and in a way it's like kind of debilitating. Like you're like, you're like picking out components for the bike and there's, you know, an infinite there's number no of bike. options. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> That, uh, yeah. Sorry, did that answer your question? Yeah. No, no, it totally did. And like, it wasn't something I thought to ask when we were there the other day. But, um, you know, I I look at bikes all the time. I'm looking at Facebook Marketplace all the time. I'm staring at my own bikes at home. I'm looking at stuff on Pink Bike. Some bikes gel better than others. You know, yep. whether it's a wheel set or a group set or a saddle or, and I'm not just talking about like like you said, pictures on a white background where the cranks are, you know, straight and you're in the big ring in the front and the littering on the back. That's not the stuff I'm talking about. It's like some bikes look better with campy. Some bikes look better with SRAM, you know, like, and I think there is, I like, I love to ride bikes, but I also like love to look at bikes. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by different eras of bikes, whether it be steel bikes or whether it be wild arrow type of bikes that are like, 
more and more popular. Actually, I feel like aero bikes were really popular like five years ago. And now all these companies have like these do it all bikes, you know, like right. specialized has the SL seven that like it's aero and it can climb, you know? So like, but there's all the, there's been all these different iterations. Like we were talking about, um, there was like that zip bike that didn't have a seat stay, mm -hmm. right? It had like, it went out and then it went in it. Like that bike, that is a total forgotten style of frame. People don't really, I don't think anyone makes those frames anymore, but there was something to that bike that was like, it was, it was, it had a flex to it. So it was comfortable and people were using it for TTs. And like, so you'd see these like tri bars on it and stuff. And so I don't know. I, I think, I think bikes are, you know, truly like a beautiful tool that we use, whether it's just to commute or get around or, or to, to uh, exercise on, you know, but like, I don't know, there's something about, uh, something about a pretty bike that really, I like, I'm staring at people's bikes on group rides all the time. And like, like you said, you usually from most of the time from the back, right? Like, mm -hmm. cause you're not really like turning around that much and seeing a bike from the front. You're riding with someone on the side. You're going to see the bike from the side, you know, whether it's drive side or non-drive side, but you're seeing bikes from the back. You're seeing uh, like the way that like a set, like a saddle is on a bike. Have you ever, have you thought about making any more saddles or making any more shoes or anything like that? Like will, will will a sold bike have a saddle made by you on it or you're gonna you're gonna grab another saddle and throw it on or maybe it's up to the rider's choice the person that buys it you know yeah it could totally yeah it could totally be rider choice or um like the um so philly bike expo is coming up in march yeah and i'm working on a show bike for that and yeah. like that bike is going to have like a like an integrated seat post right um and then the like the topper on that if i can get it done like yeah. the topper on that won't be a traditional kind of like seat mass topper with, you know, hardware to clamp the saddle on. It's all going to be right. like one piece. One piece. That's so, so cool. The, the carbon so cool. saddle will transition into like the, the seat mass topper that actually clamps right. onto the frame. Right. Um, hopefully I can get that done. But, um, you know, to answer your question, yes, absolutely. Like I'm thinking about all those things, the, the relationship, the proportions, yeah. um of, of everything together you know um the different eras of component uh I, I like you i love i love some of those like like crazy like 80s early 90s like monocoque arrow frames like the lotus frame with the like single chain stay yes um yes. Yeah. like those kinds of things you know it's just it's wild um yeah. but would i ever make something like that i don't know sure uh <laughs> but i mean but it's like part of the history of the design of bikes right and i think it I think it yeah. goes to show that like some bikes, even though the design themselves might be forgotten, but like the aesthetic isn't forgotten. And it is something that like helped inform the next years and the next years of bikes, you know, like I'm sure a lot was learned from that Lotus bike with only one chainstay. Like maybe, maybe what was learned was that we need two chainstays, you know, but like <laughs> that was part of the process of it. And yeah, that was an absolutely wild time for bikes. Is there is there a certain era of of like bike design? Like we, we talk about classic bikes a lot. Like, is it just that like classic frame? Um, I feel like bikes were the same for probably bikes were probably most of the same for about 50 years. And then now they change quite a bit, I feel like. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like it's probably just like when I came of age, but sure. when I see um, I don't know, like a, like a, 
it could be lugged or not, but like a, like a steel frame with yeah. like, I don't know what generation it would have been, but like when, when Campy started doing carbon record, like, oh, yeah. like yes. nine or 10 speed carbon record on like a yeah. steel frame, everything's like super svelte and minimal. Yeah. And it like, um, yeah. like that era of bicycle is like perfect in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love all of that. Uh, you know, could you make a bike like that now and have it not look just like a throwback? I don't know. Sure. Um, but you know, that's like, those are the bikes I was, you know, um, I hate this word, but like ogling in the, you know, in the bike shop. Yeah. 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 <laughs> cool. Um, all right. Well, I, I feel like we've sort of barely scratched the surface, even though I got, I had a lot of questions answered and, and I think it's super interesting what you're doing. And you mentioned Philly bike expo. You're going to be there. If anyone's in the area, you, people can check you out there. I assume you'll have a booth or, or whatever. I've never been to Philly bike expo. I don't, I don't know what it's like. Yeah, you should come. It's, it's cool. I, um, it's like a great, it's a great, uh, it's like, uh, March 16th and 17th. I think I have the dates, yeah. right. So it's yeah. a weekend. So, you, you know, you swing down to Philly yeah. and, um, enjoy that. It's a bunch of frame builders and components, manufacturers, and, you know, yeah. people who make, um, you know, like bicycle related clothing or do yeah. bicycle advocacy. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Cool. And, um, so I'm sharing the booth there with, uh, with Matt Appleman. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can see the bikes there or if you're, if you're local to Rhode Island, Providence, um, you know, visitors are always welcome. So yeah. Nice. And people can find you on Instagram, right. And send you an email from your website. What's the, the Instagram is at ride July. The Instagram's at ride July and the website yep. is ride July.com. Ride July.com. Cool. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Ben. This was, oh, I mean, you. honestly, it's fascinating. I, I, I truly can't wait to do more with you. Hopefully make some videos in the future. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a trip down to Philly and meet all these people and hang around at Philly bike expo. Philly's, you know, I was just talking to someone from Philly. It gets kind of a bad rap a lot. Yeah. I like Philly. It, Philly's great. But Philly is like fun. Philly's like a cool, like there can be fun stuff. Sure. It gets a little rowdy, um, but there's like solid food there. It's scrappy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you been there before? Have you ever spent time at the Muter Museum? It's like this weird oddity museum. The Muter Museum, the world's largest colon, is at the Muter Museum. Yes, I have been there. I've <laughs> seen the world's largest colon. It's a really cool. Shout out to Philly. Yeah, Philly Bike Expo. Ben, thank you very much. I, I appreciate oh, thanks you for the invite. The yeah, yeah, no yeah. problem. Anytime. Talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks, John. Bye. Well, that will just about do it. Thank you to Ben for joining me for this episode. And thank you to you, the listener, the viewer, for watching, for listening. And remember to rate, review, subscribe, and all of the above. It really helps the platforms know that we are a podcast worth listening to, worth paying attention to. I think that's the exact copy I use in the intro of the episode. Sometimes I go with what's written down. Sometimes I go with what's off the cuff. You know, you never know with me. Shout out to my podcasting partner in crime who really probably never knows of me. He puts up with, you know, listening to this over and over again. So I'm going to keep it short just for him, for BSP, for doing all the audio work on all of these episodes and for helping me with our most recent video shoot that we did at MBX. Brian and I went over to MBX. We asked some of the lovely folks that work there some of their bike opinions. And those videos have been slowly rolling out on Instagram. Our Instagram, it's just a hill, and MBX, MBX Bikes Instagram. 
Uh, so we post them to both of those accounts, asking them a lot of fun questions. The first one was like one tire width for the rest of your life. What will it be? Uh, we asked them about overrated stuff, underrated stuff. So make sure you check those out. We'll be putting them out over the course of the next month or so. And make sure to just go and check out the shop. Go and check out MBX. Check out the studio at MBX, which is the studio space upstairs above the shop. If you didn't know about it, they offer a lot of different stretching classes, yoga classes, and also bike fits. Uh, I personally, uh, you know, I do ride my bike a ton, if you didn't know, but I also do a lot of yoga. I do yoga basically every day, and I think it's really good for you, and I think it's probably my favorite form of cross-training, uh, at least my most consistent form of cross-training that's off the bike. Staying flexible on the bike allows me to spend a lot of time on there, and I like doing that, and I think that the well-balancedness helps. Maybe you need some tips. Maybe you want to take some classes and get motivated. Head over to the studio at MBX. You can book uh, those classes on the Mind Body app, or you can just pop in and show up to a class and see what it's all about. You can head to their website to see what the schedule is or give them a call. The website is nbxbikes.com. That'll just about do it. Thank you all once again, and see you on the next one. We are It's Just a Hill, a cycling club that promotes inclusion, judgment-free with no gatekeepers. Focused on creating content from behind the handlebars to in the studio, It's Just a Hill is producing videos and podcasts to spread the message that cycling is for everyone. We are focused on reminding everyone that riding your bike can help you overcome any obstacle, because after all, it's just a hill. Decaf left, regular right. Decaf left, regular right. It's very challenging work.